Hey, I hope you're doing well today. My name is Andrew, and I am the lead pastor at Mountain Park Church. This is the Mountain Park Church podcast, and as usual, I have a few things I want to say to set up what you're about to hear. Now, today, I'll probably be more brief than usual because as you can hear, I'm a little bit under the weather. Nevertheless, I wanted to just set a few things up for you. As we are processing and talking about what it means to be consecrated, we're in the story of Joshua and the Israelites coming out of the land of slavery, out of the place of wandering across the Jordan River. And today in this part of the scene from Joshua 5, Joshua is scoping out his first assignment, which is Jericho, their first huge challenge on the other side of the Jordan. And he is met in an unusual way by the angel of the armies of the Lord. And there is an important lesson for us here as it relates to submitting to and surrendering our lives to Jesus, or in other words, consecrating ourselves. And as a part of this message today, I decided to share some things that relate to my own story, my own life and my own family that are quite vulnerable and quite, um, I don't know what the right word is. I, I honestly have been back and forth as to whether we would just change this totally or whether I would edit things out. I've decided not to edit them out, but I do have some things that I want to share with you at the end of this message. I just wanna say again, we're so glad to be with you today. Today, we're going to talk about chapter five in Joshua and this encounter that Joshua has with the angel of the Lord. As we get into the first half of chapter five, we're in Gilgal and there's a couple things going on. Randy talked about this a little bit, but the first thing that Israel is invited into is another circumcision event, like a physical one. And God is reinforcing this principle for the nation of Israel, but in parallel learning for us too, that victory and promise always begin with death. They always begin with a willingness to die to self. A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, says this, the circumcision of Gilgal is a symbol of death, the death of the natural life, the death of a life directed, powered, and sustained by human capacity. The invitation of God always as we're stepping into his purposes, his vision for our life is to make a transition out of a human-oriented, empowered, and centered life into one that is fundamentally rooted in his capacity, in his ability to lead and direct and sustain and empower and provide. That place of victory and promise, that Jericho and, and the conquest of Canaan began in this gateway of death. 
This is similar to what Jesus says in Luke 9. Jesus is talking to a crowd of people and he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Jesus is contrasting these two ways to live in the presence of God. One is to stand in your own human capacity and strength and ingenuity and skill and gifting and financial stability and all of that. The other one is to actually die to everything that you would say defines you or is a strength in your life. So this step into the Jordan is about faith, but the circumcision at Gilgal is now experiential. This is where the rah, rah, rahs of the Jordan parted and look what God did are met with, oh boy, there's a lot of pain that I have to enter into now. And that's always a part of the puzzle. It's always a part of life is, is you know, like in our modern Western church, we, we love to talk about, um, you know, the blessing of God and the fruit of God and God does bless and there's so much goodness in God, but we're so, we have a very poor theology of suffering and pain. But you don't get to walk in the victory God has planned for you unless you're willing to step in the river in faith and then experience the cutting pain of what it means to orient your life after the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world or your own flesh. So we pick up this story. Israel's crossed over. They've had a very large circumcision party. Maybe a party is the wrong word to use for that, but who knows? I don't know. So, uh, and they've allowed these men uh, to heal. And th there's something interesting too in there. I, we won't take time with this, but when God is in, inviting us into seasons of pruning and cutting, he always is inviting us to rest and to receive his ministry and his presence to heal. So they don't move on and into the purpose. They don't move into a, a war sort of adversarial warfare posture until they've healed and restored. Joshua 5, 9 to 15. So they've healed up. This is what happens. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he's been, now he's going there. He's the, the commander of the armies of Israel. Moses is dead and Joshua's the one. God has supernaturally brought them across the Jordan. The, the, the laneway is open now for Joshua to begin to use his military capacity to bring about the purposes and plans of God for his life. So Joshua goes on a little reconnaissance mission. Like, what am I going to do? 
let me figure this out. Let me create a strategy that I can begin to lead the whole nation into that will ensure our victory. And so he's on this reconnaissance mission. He was near the town of Jericho. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Just stop right there. This, almost all scholars believe that this is Jesus in the Old Testament reality of his existence standing there. This is what in heady, complicated language, they, scholars would call the theophany of Jesus, the, the embodiment of Jesus before he comes as a baby. So Jesus is present in physical reality in front of Joshua, and Jesus is present as the commander of the armies of the Lord. And when he says, I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord, he's not talking about the dudes behind Joshua in the Israelite army. He's talking about the spiritual army, the warriors in heavenly places of the army of God. Joshua says, are you friend or are you foe? Neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I just love that. That is such an important statement for so many areas of our life. God's purposes are not to partner with our pet projects on the earth. God's purposes in your life and my life are not to align himself with our causes. They're not to align himself with what we think is right and just even. Our version of what justice and equity and all of that looks like. God's way above that pay grade. He says, I'm not for you or against you. I'm operating on a different plane, Joshua. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? And I imagine at this point, Joshua is thinking, all right, he's going to give us a battle plan for how to take Jericho. He's going to give us sort of like the marching orders. God, I'm ready. I've got my battle gear on. I've got my sword. I've got my shoes. I've got everything on. I'm ready. What do you want me to do? Send me out. I'm ready, coach. And Jesus, as this commander of the armies of heaven, doesn't give him a battle plan in the way that he expected, maybe. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. There's some really deep things here, I think. And honestly, today, we're just going to plumb the surface of it. But this commander of the Lord's armies, as Joshua's ready, he's chomping at the bit, like, let me at it, let me at it, let me fulfill your vision and your calling for my life and my family and my people. God slows him down and says, first of all, you need to attend to my presence. Before you go waging war for me, you have to attend to my presence. You have to be not something great for me, 
but something great to me. In biblical worldview of Joshua's time, the removing of one's sandals in common Eastern culture was a sign of respect and honor and dignity. But there's something deeper going on here. It's also, it's also Joshua releasing power, these three things, power, dignity, and ownership. For Joshua to take his sandals off, he's literally on the threshold, on the door of war with Jericho. He's, he's all kitted up. He's got everything there for him to take his sandals off in the presence of the angel of the Lord was to relinquish his power, his dignity, and his ownership. I want to just unpack those because those are so key for us. The other thing that's so important for us in Joshua's way that he viewed the world is very different than how we view ours today. Joshua's worldview was that each nation, each geographic area on the earth was governed by deities and by gods. And we see this all over the place. When Joshua crossed across uh, the Jordan River into Canaan, he stepped into enemy territory. It wasn't territory that was his own yet. This hadn't been claimed for God yet. Joshua was walking behind enemy lines on enemy territory. And the very first thing that God alerts Joshua to is this ground you're on is not enemy ground. I'm here. I'm present. It's my territory. I am Lord over every other deity, every other God. I'm Lord over Baal. I'm Lord over Asherah. I'm Lord over all of the gods that are surrounding you, Joshua. There's someone greater in your midst. Even when you're stepping into dark, contested enemy territory, God is there and he's Lord over those places. That word in the Hebrew for take off your sandals, pretty self-explanatory, but I want to use a couple of different words that maybe just round out its significance for us. Not only does that mean to loosen or take off, it means to drive away or become detached from. So for Joshua to take off his sandals was to surrender and become detached from his power, from his dignity, and his ownership. God's invitation to Joshua was to stand in his presence in dependence, humility, and surrender. These things always precede great moves of the presence of God. Men and women who are willing to walk in a posture of dependence, humility, and surrender. Just want to say a couple of things about each one of those. As we talk about what it means to be consecrated, God is inviting us to consecrate, to offer to him places of strength and energy. The question is, what do you give your strength to in your life right now? Just a general question. Just survey your whole life. Where do you give your greatest strength and energy? What is that thing 
that you pour yourself into, that you would say, hey, this is a strength. This is an area that I excel at. This is an area that I'm gifted in even. I'm, maybe, maybe you're an entrepreneur and it's easy. You find it easy to, to build businesses and make money. Or for you, it's, it's reconciliation in a social kind of way. Whatever it is, where are those areas of strength and energy? that you pour your life into. The invitation of this angel of the Lord's armies to Joshua was, would you submit to me those places of strength and power in your life? This is kind of in line with what Jesus said. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, all of your power. What do you give the best of your day to? What do you give the best of your capacity and your ingenuity and your wisdom to? What do you give the best of your life to? The best of your emotional capacity. What do you give that to? Joshua was being offered a life that was dependent on the power of God, not his military might or strength, not his strategic general, like I'm a general in the Lord's army and I have strategic insight on warfare. Jesus says it this way, seek first the kingdom of God. Give your best strength and energy to the pursuit of the presence of God. As Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, that first temptation was to turn stones into bread. Use your power to benefit your life, Jesus. Use your capacity. Jesus, you can do it, and the devil knew he could. Use your capacity to satisfy yourself. Use the best of what you are, Jesus, to meet your own needs. The invitation of Joshua in taking off his sandals was to live under a different power source in his life, not to use what he had, what even he had been blessed with by God to meet his own needs first, but to surrender himself, the best of what he was and had to the kingdom of God. Paul, I love this in 2 Corinthians the book of 2 Corinthians is basically a long letter that Paul is sending back to people who are attacking and accusing him of being weak, of being unremarkable, of being, uh, you know, having a lot of talk when he's far away, but being spineless when he's present. Paul is being undermined. His, his authority as an apostle is being undermined. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul goes into this long diatribe, and you've probably heard this. He says this in 2 Corinthians 12, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me, so that I would not exalt myself. Let that just mess with your theology. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Whose weakness? Paul's. Therefore, this is Paul. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul here is arguing that he has something no other apostle has. That's he's actually been in the throne room of God. And he says, I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body, but it was real. And I heard things that no one gets the privilege on earth to hear. And that thing that would have been Paul's strength, that would have been his meal ticket, that would have been the thing that shut everyone up who was opposing him. God says, you can't use that. You don't get to use that, Paul, to silence your critic and your enemy or that annoying coworker that you've been super aggravated with. You don't get to use that as a power play to assert yourself in a position of power. I'm going to take that from you. That's not on the cards. So Paul enters into this moment where God says, give me your greatest asset. The thing that we would all be tempted to use to trumpet to the world. Guess what I've heard and seen? God says, no. Instead, I'm going to invite you to depend on me. I'm going to invite you to enter into weakness. And the world is going to eat you up and they're going to say all kinds of crap about you. They're going to undermine you. They're going to pick apart your ministry, your character, your physical stature, everything. And you can't take that meal ticket. This is the invitation of this angel to Joshua. Take off your shoes, surrender your strength and your power. That very thing that would have legitimized Paul to all of his critics, that thing that he had that none of them had, that's what God invites him to surrender. We see this in the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew. Jesus is entering into that garden and his disciples, Peter, still is thinking that, you know, he can fight the enemy off with a sword and he cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear and Jesus rebukes him and he says, go ahead and do what you've come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize, listen to this, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen? If I access the power that I know is available, then I subvert the purposes and plans of God in my life. What do you give your best strength to? What, what, is, what is it you're putting in your back pocket in life right now? What are you giving the best of yourself to? The invitation 
of Jesus is to consecrate these areas of power and strength and energy. The second area of consecration and taking your sandals off was offering God our dignity in an act of war against pride. The invitation to Joshua was, Joshua, you don't know what you think you know about warfare. You don't know what you think you already know about what it takes to see victory in Jericho. What you think you know, it's not going to cut it. I'm, I'm inviting you, Joshua, to humble yourself and surrender your dignity to me. Surrender your wisdom and what you feel is best and most appropriate for your life. And this offer confronts the assumptions we all carry of our own wisdom and understanding. When we go to that story of the temptation with Jesus, we're entering into that second temptation. Jesus, throw yourself off the, the peak of the temple and scripture says that God will send his angels and they will protect you. Jesus, would you make yourself revered in front of everyone? Jesus, do something that, that captures the attention and, and wows everyone about you. Do something that distinguishes you as a man to be respected and revered and loved. And Jesus denies him. This confronts our need for the approval of others. The what would they think if I did this kind of thing. You know, my story, my, the DNA of my family, before I was born, my dad was uh, an apprentice carpenter. He was a finishing carpenter. He grew up in Virgil in this area, and he was apprenticing to be like a master carpenter. And he was doing that. He was working, and uh, one day... In the choir, I have no idea why he sang in the choir. He shouldn't have been allowed in the choir, but he was singing in the choir. And I love you, Dad, if you're listening. Um, he was in the choir. I think it was at Calvary Church in St. Catharines. And the Holy Spirit, like literally, he had like a biblical style encounter came on him. He was shaking from head to toe. He says that his, his choir book was upside down. Like he couldn't even read it. He couldn't say anything. And God called him out of construction, out of carpentry and into ministry. When he heard that call, it was so clear to him. He and my mom were just newly married. They went to my mom's family and said, hey, we're we're going to do this. My grandfather was a master carpenter. He, by hand, restored most of Niagara-on-the-Lake through the 60s and 70s. The apothecary, Prince of Wales, all that stuff by hand was his work. All of it. For my father to leave the family business and enter into ministry not be able to pay bills, not be able to support his family, not be able to be dignified in his vocation and calling. 
was egregious to my family, to my in-laws, not my in-laws, my grandparents. Effectively, they disowned him in very practical ways as he and my mom moved to Kitchener to go to Emmanuel Bible College. I was born when they were in Bible school. They gave up everything. The family wouldn't support them anymore because they so deeply disagreed. He was shunned and shamed for that decision. He had no dignity. In the story of our family, I don't say this to, to belittle our family at all. I love them. But it just was unconscionable to them that he would give up everything be poor and not be able to provide for himself or his family in order to follow the call of God on your life? Something that happened to you while you're singing in a choir? How could you do that? How could you ruin your family? And the stories of their lives, my parents' lives in those first few years are the stories of miraculous intervention and provision, like literally where they can't afford to pay the heating bill. And later on in the day, there's an envelope with some cash that's just enough to pay their bills. And over and over and over again, God proved himself faithful. But it meant that my father needed to be willing to walk undignified before other men. So often the barrier in our life is our pride. And what we will not do on face value because we refuse to be undignified in the eyes of mankind. That's the DNA that I was born into. Uh, a radical, I will trust you, God, with my life. And even if no one around me understands it, it doesn't matter what they do to me. I'll follow you still. That's what I was born into. The most traumatic event of my childhood happened when I was nine. I was playing AAA hockey. We lived in Simcoe, Ontario at the time. And the coach didn't like me or my family because my dad was a pastor and he wouldn't let me play on Sundays in those days. And so I would miss all of the games or tournaments that were happening on the weekend. And he really had it out for me. He wanted me off the team. He just didn't like it. I missed one practice because we had a family birthday and we, the next game was a home game in Simcoe. I arrived like we normally did. I was getting on all of my equipment and I was mostly dressed. I had my skates and pants and socks, all that stuff on. The coach came in the dressing room and he said, Andrew, I need to talk to you in the other room. And so he brought me in and he and the assistant coach were in there and he said, Andrew, it is not acceptable for anyone to miss a practice. You're off the team. Get your stuff, take your stuff off pack your bag and go home. You're not even allowed to play tonight. So I walked in to this dressing room with all of my little friends as a nine or 10 year old. And I was crying and I began to undress. I was humiliated beyond belief. And everybody's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? What are you doing? I don't even know what excuses I made up. But as I took each piece of that hockey gear off, just deflecting whatever embarrassing questions they were asking. I walked out of that place. And this is back in the 80s when parents didn't 
hover around their kids all the time like we do today. So my dad wasn't even there or my mom. I stood on the corner in the dark and I cried until my dad came to watch the game. And he saw me on the corner and he picked me up, asked me what was happening. You know, this is actually something that the Holy Spirit brought to me a year and a half ago through Freedom Session, which is a beautiful thing that we do here in the life of our church. This moment drove something deep into me, uh, a desire and a fear of rejection, a fear of humiliation, a fear of people not respecting me, a fear of standing out in the crowd, something that has had a deeper, more profound impact on my life than anything else. This summer, I was tested again in this area, probably the most deep testing I've experienced. Some of you know this. My parents uh, took a job at another church locally here. My dad had pastored this church for oh, 20 years almost. They took a job at another church. And I really wrestled back and forth with this. And there's a whole story behind that I won't get into. But one morning this summer, I was sitting in the hot tub, my in-laws hot tub in Alberta. It was by myself. It was a Sunday morning. Everybody else was at church. Well, I just didn't have it in me to go. I didn't want to be around anyone. I was just, I was struggling. And as I'm sitting there, as clear as I've ever heard the voice of the enemy, he said, give up. Nobody wants to be around you. Nobody sticks around at this church. Yes, look at how many people have come and gone over the years, Andrew. And then he said this, even your own parents don't want to be under your leadership. And in that moment, the enemy was going right for the jugular, the same fear of rejection. God, maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe you haven't really called me. Maybe I'm messing people's lives up and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm, I'm making things worse. Maybe the best thing to do is just to pack it in. This is the last point here that Joshua, take off your sandals was, would you release your power and your strength? Would you release to me your demand to be dignified amongst your peers? And third, would you release to me ownership of your future and of your life? We see this in the life of Jesus, in this temptation, this third temptation, where the enemy, Satan, takes him and he begins to show him the empires of the world. And he says, I'll give you all of these if you bow down and worship me. I'll give them to you. I'll give you ownership over the purpose of God for your life but in an easy way. You won't have to go to the cross. You're not going to have to suffer. You're not going to have to do any of that. I'll give you ownership over the vision and calling of God for your life. You guys making out okay? 
there's a famous British pastor and revivalist. His name is Leonard Ravenhill. And I read this quote by him that startled me in this last number of months. I have it for you on the screen there. God does not want partnership with us, but ownership of us. The invitation of God to Joshua is not, Joshua, I want to partner with your plans to take Jericho. I'm inviting you to surrender your, the ownership of your life to me. Yes, God uses us. He, he, he fills us and empowers us and he works through us. But at the end of the day, God is not looking for a partner. He's looking for people that he can possess and own. And this is the invitation of Joshua. As I mentioned in my own story of this summer, this crisis that I experienced, and I'm just telling you my story because it's my story. What I didn't realize this summer was I was, I began to fight God over the ownership of my future. I began to listen to and entertain these lies of the enemy. You're not really called. You're not gifted. Nobody wants to be under you. Nobody wants to follow you, not even your own family. I began to entertain these. And I began to look for ways to repossess ownership of my life and my future. And it was wreaking havoc in me. I began to figure out, like, how could I scheme ways to to kind of step into the driver's seat of my own life and produce a result that I would like to. And all of this came to a head in Portland in September. Rochelle and I were visiting a friend uh, there, uh, some family friends of ours. We were in his church and we're just in worship, just nothing related to this. And the Holy Spirit so clearly gives me this picture and he gives me this picture of a horse corral. And in, in uh, like people that do stuff with horses, whatever they're called, <laughs> um, when they're breaking horses, they use circular corrals to break horses. And God said to me, Andrew, it's like happening during worship. God said to me, Andrew, what you see as a, a debilitating limitation in your life now. You're trying to take ownership over your future because you're worried about, you know, what's going to happen and, and whether I'm going to let you down and all these things. What you see as a limitation and a, de and a debilitation, a suffocation is necessary. I need to break you in order to take you further than you've ever gone before but I can't ride you unless you're willing to submit to me in this corral. I can't bring you to that place that causes your heart to come alive until I know that I can trust you in this place. And so his question to me was, would you be willing to submit to me? Would you re-hand over ownership of your life to me? And I had this opportunity standing there at, in this church in Portland, Oregon to wrestle with God. He was just asking me, what's it going to be? I'm going to love you either way, but I don't want to partner with your idea of what the future holds. I want to own the future in your life. 
Would you be willing, and this is what he said, would you be willing to give me another seven years? And I wrestled with him over a number of days about that and finally said, yeah. Two months later, Rochelle and I are in Colorado at a trip we got invited to way back in the spring. And we're driving, we're, uh, you know, 60 miles off the interstate on dirt roads. And we pull into this ranch that we were spending three days at. And this is what I see. To a T, the exact picture of what the Spirit had given me two months before in Portland. That right there. And as I walked on that property, he said, I'm not doing this to hurt you. I'm doing this because you have no idea what I want to do with your life if you would just surrender ownership of your future to me. We rode horses in this place. And I think we have, there we go. Mine was a little bit rebellious, but, um, and I was sorry for it as we were going downhill my great weight on him. His name was Chief, but we had a great time. And God, in this place, in this place, he renewed my soul and my heart in only a way that he knew he needed to. And this was set up months and months and months ago. He is faithful and is calling on your life and on my life is would you submit power, dignity, and ownership to me? Would you be the kind of people that would be willing to take your sandals off, make my presence the thing of your life, and let me lead you to where you're going? That is the basis of this offering that we are going to bring together. Hey, it's Andrew here again. I just wanted to leave you with a few thoughts as we are closing this out today. You know, I was on the fence, like I mentioned at the beginning, I was on the fence all week this week as to whether I would leave those personal stories in, whether I would edit them and retell them in a more succinct way. And I decided to leave them unchanged from the way they came out live. One of the things that I wanted to just reiterate is I'm, I'm not telling these stories because I want you to feel bad for me or, or to generate some kind of sympathy or anything like that. I'm telling you these stories because I, we all face these moments, these testing moments where we are tested in areas of power, dignity, and ownership. And we are tested in whether or not we want to operate, live out of our own power and dignity and ownership. And I'm tested in that same way, the same way many of you are tested. And sometimes it just takes hearing someone else's story to connect the dots for us to bring things into life. And so my prayer really more than anything is that that may be true from the story that you heard me tell that you would draw some parallel learning in your own 
life. What are the areas of power, dignity, and ownership that Jesus is inviting you to surrender to him? Just think of Joshua as he is on the eve of war and conquest. He's been crowned the next leader of Israel. He is um, a military man. He is prepared, he's fit for battle, he's ready to go. And Jesus interrupts him, really, in this exchange in Joshua 5. Jesus interrupts him and Jesus invites Joshua to surrender his power. Surrender your capacity, Joshua. Surrender your abilities to me. I know you're a strong general, you're gifted. I know you know how to hear my voice. I know that you are a capable and strong leader, but that's not how you're gonna fight this time. Joshua is invited to surrender his strength and power. He's invited to surrender dignity. Now, just I just think of this. The very first assignment in Jericho will put all three of these things to the test. What general who is worth his salt in any way is going to stage a an initial assault by walking quietly around the fortified city you're trying to conquer for seven days. Can you imagine how that would have challenged Joshua's power, dignity, and ownership? Any good leader worth his salt would have absolutely ridiculed Joshua. Can you imagine the taunts of the people of Jericho, the the army captains and generals, the king of Jericho, as they watched Israel walk around in silence for seven days? Can you imagine the challenge that Joshua would have faced to not divert to a leadership model for his life that was rooted in his own power, dignity, and ownership of the situation. This is, I think this is the huge reason why Jesus reveals himself to Joshua on the plains of Jericho and says, would you take off your sandals? Because I'm the one who is captain of this army. I'm the one who understands what is necessary for victory and what becomes necessary for victory according to the heart and the plans of God is absolutely 100% counterintuitive from a human point of view. And yet so often our temptation is to live out of our own power, out of our own pride and dignity, and out of our own sense of control and ownership. And what I hope that you hear me calling you to, calling me to in this season of your life is to ask the Holy Spirit, where are you inviting me to yield power, dignity, and ownership? And so I just, I wanna give you a moment to ask him that to ask him to confront you and challenge you. This is our lingering time that we normally do. And I'm just gonna 
pray to open this up and then we're just gonna give you space with the music underscore that's happening. I just, I wanna challenge you, whatever you're doing right now, however distracted you might be, whatever's going on in the environment around you, the Holy Spirit wants to break through that and speak to you today. And all I'm calling you to do is ask him, Holy Spirit, what are you inviting me to surrender in my life in these areas of power, dignity, and ownership. Go ahead and ask him that now and take a few minutes to wait on and listen to the Holy Spirit. He wants to talk to you about these areas of your life. We just invite you to speak to us about these areas of our life. We invite your conviction and your correction. Jesus, we bring ourselves under your leadership and your lordship again. We just ask that you would teach us to be men and women who are willing to take off our sandals, who are willing to relinquish power, dignity, and ownership so that we can step into the beauty of the purposes and plans and calls and assignments that you have for us that cannot be accomplished out of our own human agency, planning, skills, or anything like that. Would you do in us what is necessary to cultivate that kind of heart of Joshua where we'd be willing to take off our sandals, humble ourselves, and surrender these areas of our life. Okay, super duper last thing. I trust I'm serious now with this. I just wanted to connect something for you that the Holy Spirit connected for me this week as I was reflecting on these stories in my life. I shared with you the story of the DNA that I was born into, a DNA of faith, a DNA of trust in God, a DNA as I related it to this story of Joshua where my parents, my dad in particular, was willing to be undignified, unrespected by the people closest to him because of his obedience and faithfulness to the call of God. He was willing to face the mockery and the criticism and all of that in order to be obedient to the voice of the Spirit. And that's the culture and the DNA that I was born into. This event when I was nine, that had a deep, deep impact on my life. It was a deep trauma in my life. For the very first time this week, the Spirit of God connected these two for me. And I've just felt like he was saying, Andrew, Satan has used this. Now, whether he initiated it or his, you know, the, the intricacies of his role in it, I don't know. 
but clearly he has used it. This is what the Spirit said. Satan has used that event to destroy and undermine the culture that you were born into, to rob you of your capacity to live with that same faith that your parents did. And that is absolutely so true. The rest of my life, I have been paralyzed by a fear of failure, a fear of rejection. These are deep core wounds of mine. Growing up as a young man through junior high and high school and after high school, I've been paralyzed in my life with an obsession to be liked and respected by others, never to do anything, anything at all that would hinder whether I would be perceived in a dignified way by anyone. That worked itself out in so many ways in my life to the point where I would never be um, kind of goofy at parties or do anything at all that would draw attention to me to make me look foolish because of this event. And this is how the enemy works in our life. His, whatever his role is in that, I'm not sure. I think there's a mixture of human and spiritual and demonic. I'm not sure exactly what that mixture looks like. But absolutely in your life and in my life, the enemy uses these significant marking events to rob and steal and destroy the DNA and culture of the kingdom that we often have been born into and are, are a part of our family line. And one of the things he's inviting me into and maybe even you into is actually to ask him about these areas of your life so that the spirit can bring begin to bring freedom and renewal and life that Jesus can begin to restore and renew these areas so that we can again in increased measure be people who are willing to surrender power dignity and ownership and I as I've walked with Jesus through healing from this trauma in my life he has been enabling me I've walked into greater measures of freedom in my ability to surrender power, dignity, and ownership in greater ways. And that is my hope and my prayer for you in your life too. I love you, I'm praying for you, and I will talk to you again soon. Bye.